Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Bricks and Mortar. I'm joined today by James Berkhamshaw, Infrastructure Manager at Skyports, a company which owns and operates infrastructure for urban aviation and manages end-to-end drone deliveries. In his role at Skyports, James is responsible for developing and implementing Skyports' global infrastructure strategy, which sees him work with real estate partners, city authorities, regulators and passenger vehicle manufacturers to grow Skyport's network of passenger and freight infrastructure. However, James hasn't always worked in such a futuristic job and began his career in a more traditional real estate setting. Today, we catch up on how he made the leap and what it's like to work in a tech-based environment. You're listening to Sarah Jackman. James, many thanks indeed for joining me today. Tell me a little bit about how you first became interested in a career in real estate. Uh, it's a very good question. Uh, it's one I've been asked there quite a lot uh, and, and also there's asked this question. For me, it was simply very important to get a professional qualification. And so I looked at a number of career paths. I looked at law, which um, seemed very appealing at the time. Looks at becoming a doctor, uh, that wasn't so appealing because uh, I'm not uh, not so good with blood. Uh, and I've always really seen myself as a bit of a people's person. Uh, I enjoy networking, uh, building relationships, and uh, I was always told that was one of my greatest strengths. Um, so it kind of aligned very well to uh, a career in real estate. I particularly liked, I guess, the the, the physical uh, nature of real estate. It's a physical asset that you can touch. You can you can view it. It's very tangible, unlike some other asset classes. Uh, so that was was incredibly appealing. And like most of theirs, I did have a little bit of a, a family family bias in terms of my my father was was involved with real estate as well. So what from what sort of age did you decide on that? So I hit hit the classic age of about 13, 14, and uh, thought actually. I, you know, it's not, not too far away before I need to start thinking about a career. Maybe that's a lie, maybe it's close to 15, uh, 16. It was the time I was choosing what A-levels I wanted to do, which ultimately impacts on what, potentially impacts on what, what course, what career you want to do at uh, university. So the next steps were for me was to start looking at, at getting some work experience. Being the fairly proactive person I am, I, I put on a suit, uh, I'm originally from North North Yorkshire, put on a suit and tie and I took the train into Leeds and effectively went knocking uh, on doors of surveying practices. I knocked on the doors of Savills, Sanderson and Wetherill, which is a big northern practice. And King Sturge at the time um, took a bit of a shine to me and thought actually quite like the, the proactive nature of this young 16 year old mm-hmm. knocking on my door and saying, you know, will you, will you offer me a couple of, couple of weeks uh, work experience? And, uh, and that was it. I had a meeting with the partner the following week. He seemed to like me and uh, I was offered two weeks paid work experience, which was uh, pretty awesome as a, a young 17 year old. Absolutely loved it. And uh, from there, it kind of motivated me to pursue uh, career in real estate by way of uh, looking at universities where I could study uh, study that. Fantastic and so when you first imagined a career in real estate what sector did you initially have in mind? It's a very good question again I love asking this question to people uh, everybody wants to, to say investment it's the sexy side of real estate doing investment deals everyone wants to be an investment agent so I guess initially I was driven by that I've always been a bit of an alternative person, so I, I thought I uh, I didn't always like to follow the crowd and, and follow trends. 
So I thought, you know, what is something that's not sexy that's going to become big? So I, I, I particularly like the appeal of healthcare, uh, obviously a very, very much growing sector. So in terms of uh, when I actually joined uh, Savills, which is why I spent five years uh, at, I put that down and, and I wanted that as one of my rotations. And it was one rotation that at the time, six, seven years ago, no graduate wanted to do. It wasn't seen as sexy. Everyone wants to be in city office agency or city investment or West End agency or retail agency or leisure. And uh, so I, I spent a bit of time in, in healthcare, and that, that was a strong ambition, uh, was healthcare for a time. Uh, hospitality, you know, being, again, a fairly proactive person, always, always had a job throughout university school, so a bit of a hospitality background, so hotels and leisure uh, also appealed to me. I guess as podcasting will be people listening who want advice. I think it's quite frustrating uh, sometimes to to hear if you're interviewing someone, particularly for a big firm, if somebody has a, a bias towards a particular area. I don't think it matters. I don't think it's important uh, in your in your early days. 90% of surveyors, whatever they started doing, do not end up doing that. I think a, a good example of that is you know Jeremy Helsby starts off as a rural land agent. Lastly, towards his career, he was chairman of Savile, so that that's probably a, a very good example of that. You mentioned you had a few interests when you started your career. Tell me a little bit about how your role developed during your time at Savills. Yeah, so I I did the graduate scheme. Uh, one thing that's absolutely fantastic about Savills is you have the opportunity to do six four-month rotations. So you get to know all areas of the business. A lot of people end up doing double rotations uh, because they particularly like an area of the business. That was appealing to me. I had had a few options to do double or triple rotations, and I actually steered away from that because I thought the reason I joined Savills was to gain that breadth of experience and to get myself around the business as, as much as possible, get as much face time with as many directors as possible and, and uh, see as many different aspects of the business. So I, I did six rotations and all of them were glamorous rotations. Um, I spent four months cutting my teeth in business rates. Uh, I learned a hell of a lot. I still carry a lot of that, that knowledge with me today uh, and use it and apply it. When I progressed through the rotations, uh, one of the disadvantages of doing six you know, different rotations is it's very difficult to make a, a very firm impression in, in four months on a team when you take into account holidays and people being off. Uh, and Brexit, Brexit unfortunately or fortunately happened when I qualified and only about 50% of the, the grads at Savills who qualified had permanent positions and seats lined up. And probably one of the disadvantages of doing so many rotations was I hadn't found myself a permanent home, but because I was well connected within the business, there was a lot of people looking out for me. So I did have a number of options on the table. And one of those options, uh, and it was one of my last rotations, was was property management and asset management. And there was a new uh, division, a new team being set up within within Savills called the, the, the Trophy Property Asset Management Division. And on the asset management side of things, I mean, what, what sort of thing were you doing there? Yeah, so day to day, we were very, very niche, incredibly niche. We just specialised in uh, large trophy assets, so big city office and West End uh, office buildings, so business space assets. We wouldn't touch anything under £150 million. Pounds. Uh, a large part of my role was to uh, work closely with the investment team uh, when they were 
doing their due diligence to buy an asset, I would onboard with them. I would do uh, a lot of appraisals on the on the management side, how, how the building was run, uh, analysing uh, everything from how it was running operationally to how the rent collection stats were, how the service charge was being run and administered, how the plan preventative maintenance schedules were being were being delivered. And that was kind of it uh, in, in, in terms of day to day as to what I do. Uh, we, well, when I joined, there was two of us. When I left, we were a team of six and uh, we were billing well in excess of three million pounds worth of fees, which was pretty, pretty insane to say we, we were handed half a million to, to start with. Uh, and we had about two billion pounds uh, of assets under management. Uh, the most notable assets of those were the cheese grater, uh, rate maker place, um, so some big, significant assets, predominantly owned by Asian Asian money. In 2019, you moved to Skyports. Not all of our listeners will necessarily know the company and be familiar with it. Tell us a little bit about the company and, and what they do. Absolutely. We spend a lot of lot of time on, on calls explaining what we do. Uh, Skyports are we're now now a team of 25. Uh, we're headquartered in London, but we've got offices in Singapore, uh, offices uh, on the west coast of the US, and we design, build, own and operate landing infrastructure for electrical air taxis, uh, often known as EVTOLs, electrical vertical takeoff landing aircraft. So think of us a little bit like Heathrow, but on a very, very small scale. We effectively are, are owners and operators of, of heliports. So quite different then from your previous role or your, your previous company. Tell me a little bit about the role that you fulfil for Skyports. Yeah, absolutely. The role that I fulfil for Skyports changes on a, on a day-to-day basis. The industry is moving very quickly. Uh, when I joined two years ago, the industry was very much in its infancy. Um, a lot has happened uh, in the last two years. Uh, a lot has particularly happened in the last few months. Uh, around about three billion uh, of capital has recently entered the advanced air mobility uh, sector via SPAC transactions, uh, the likes of Joby, Lilium and Blade. Uh, between those three th- firms, they've got a valuation of well in excess of 10 billion. Uh, and there's, there's, there's other vehicle manufacturers that are, that get that are going through that that SPAC stage. And those vehicle manufacturers, those air taxis, are are our ultimate clients. Um, so I spend a lot of my time understanding them and, and getting very close to them um, as they are our ultimate uh, customer and client who will use our vertiports. The way we make our money is, is through landing fees, hangarage, um, basic maintenance, uh, recharging, uh, energising these, these vehicles because they're, they're all electric. So day to day, I spend a lot of time, as I say, with the vehicle manufacturers understanding their uh, performance requirements, their specifications, so we can build open access vehicle agnostic infrastructure to accommodate them. Um, that probably takes around about a third of my time. Uh, the other third of my time is uh, speaking to landlords, uh, whether that be uh, private or state. Uh, I spend a lot of time with airports um, because when you look at um, kind of one of the, the prime use cases for electrical air taxis, it's actually connecting very difficult journeys often a difficult journey for most people is when they land at you know jfk and need to get to downtown manhattan or they land at lax need to get to the other side of la you know those journeys by you know traditional means of transport can take several hours whereas urban air mobility advanced air mobility has the ability to to, 
for you to you know fulfill that journey within you know five ten fifteen minutes uh, therefore saving a lot of time so a lot of time doing site acquisition speaking to landlords what comes with that is is a large kind of site site feasibility process where we look at hundreds and hundreds of data points everything from airspace which is incredibly complex uh, and we have uh, airspace professionals within the organization uh, looking at uh, the regulatory aspects, uh, so looking at the, the specifics regarding regulation, looking at, at structure, a lot of where we want to locate these these uh, verticals are on the roofs of buildings, um, so looking at loading capacity, um, so there's, there's, it's a very complex uh, complex thing that, that we do day to day, uh, I'm part of a, a wider team that supports me on the, the acquisition process. So on the face of it, then, quite a different environment and sector that, that you're working within now than, than you were previously at Saddles. What prompted you to make that shift from a more sort of traditional property setting to, um, I guess, something that is more futures based and, and fundamentally about sort of tech and connectivity? Yeah, several things. Uh, I've been involved with a number of startups uh, throughout my, my my early life. The first startup that I was involved with was at university. I was involved with a uh, walking tour uh, startup that did walking tours around Oxford, and uh, and we grew that business to actually operating in Oxford, Cambridge, Bath, London, and York. Uh, and that company is now the largest walking tour provider in the UK, uh, and it's diversified significantly. So I was heavily involved with that. Uh, I, I got out of that uh, when I when I joined Savills. Savills was, was again was awesome, but it wasn't quite enough. So uh, whilst I was at Savills, I I, I launched uh, with a friend. I launched an app-based startup in New Orleans. Whilst I was at Savills, which was incredibly uh, exciting, we launched it at the largest tech conference time uh, in, in the US, which was Collision. As most apps, uh, app-based businesses, this was four or five years ago, the majority failed, but um, learned a hell of a lot from it. And um, and, and yeah, I, I think I just wanted something a little bit more uh, innovative and entrepreneurial. You know, when the opportunity to join uh, Skyports arose, um, it, it was a fantastic opportunity. Going back to kind of work experience, uh, one of my you know dream jobs, and it's something I pursued briefly, was uh, was to become an airline pilot. And uh, and as a young boy, I, I was very fortunate to have flying lessons. Uh, I logged my first hour on my 14th birthday, which is when you can legally start uh, logging your hours uh, to get your your private pilot's license. And I was well on track to to getting my my private pilot's license age 17, never actually fell through with it. Uh, flying is a very time-consuming hobby uh, and a very expensive hobby. And it's something that, uh, that once you get your, your license, you have to keep up the currency. Um, so it's a very, very expensive hobby to kind of maintain and not just um, become kind of skilled and, and, and qualified. In. A bit of a roundabout way of, of saying, uh, <laughs> to answering your question. Yeah, and I, I guess presumably, you know, that your current role sort of touches on aviation, which is a really nice link in as well. Thinking then about how you apply the knowledge that you built up at Savills and during um, your startup experience, where, where do the parallels exist between the work experience that you've previously had in, in sort of more traditional property settings and, and how do you apply that into the role at Skyports? Um, so Bang is a very broad role. 
so that there are there are lots of parallels and synergies. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd say my my career now, day to day, 90% of what I do is not real estate. Um, probably only a very very small percentage is. Probably building my network was the most valuable thing I did at, at Savills. And a good example of that was uh, within the first couple of months of joining Skyports, we launched the world's first passenger vertiport. Uh, it was a prototype that we launched uh, with our joint venture partners, Volocopter, who are one of the leading vehicle manufacturers. Uh, we launched that in Singapore. We provided the physical uh, infrastructure, so the passenger terminal and the landing infrastructure, and Volocopter conducted two uh, flights over Singapore, which was the first time uh, two years ago, that was the first time the vehicle had ever flown so publicly um, over such an iconic city. And uh, Singapore, therefore, has become a launch market, and it's always been a strong aspiration for, for Skyports. So my network um, at Savills was incredibly important. So when I was, uh, you know, when I went to Singapore, we hosted uh, several events with, 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 uh, with Savills um, to get landlords interested and excited by urban air mobility, because uh, ultimately we need their, their roof space or their land to develop landing infrastructure. So it was a very easy phone call for me to call Chris Maris up from head of Savills Asia, who I'd you know dealt with previously on various deals, and so that that was probably the probably the key takeaway from Savills is having that that network of, of contacts and people. Um, I regularly still check in with people and phone them up for second opinions when I'm acquiring sites and need a bit of help with technical due diligence and 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 things like that. But in terms of kind of day to day, do I use my MRICS letters behind my name? Probably not, no. So tell me then about what you enjoy about your current role and and really how you hope to take forward the direction of your future career. Is it in a sort of futures and tech-based environment? Yeah, no, very much so. I, I couldn't uh, foresee myself going back to a traditional um, surveying career. I, I, I just couldn't and I quite frankly wouldn't. My sector at the moment is is very niche, but it's uh, you know it, it's growing at, at, at such a rapid rate. Um, every day is different. What I enjoy day to day is um, is our industry is, is full of challenges. Uh, a lot of the answers that we are trying to answer, quite frankly, nobody has those answers. And um, therefore, you know, to a certain extent, we're, we're having to kind of carve the industry and make up a lot of these, um, you know, these answers ourselves, which is, you know, incredibly exciting uh, and, and, and dealing with some, you know, insane challenges. This morning, um, I was on a call with Singapore where we were discussing uh, capacity through through a support. And um, when I talk about capacity, I'm not talking about, um, you know, the terminal capacity of the actual um, passenger terminal infrastructure. I'm talking about the airspace capacity. So, you know, how many vehicles can we physically get through our airspace, uh, taking into account, you know, the regulation that, that is shrouded in, in aviation, um, taking into account wind, weather, um, safety areas. Um, so, so every day is faced with, with problems and challenges that, quite frankly, nobody has has, has necessarily thought about. So, so we're, we're having to, to, to be really, really innovative and, and dynamic in, a, in terms of our, our thinking and, and how we challenge things. So just then a, a final word, really, I guess, for anyone who's listening today and who's had their interest peaked in a more futures-facing career, what advice would you give to them? 
Uh, my advice is if you are currently pursuing a, a career in, in real estate, uh, whether you're at university or whether you're at, you know, at a surveying practice, um, get qualified, get chartered. It's such an awesome qualification to have as, as those letters. It's, it's very, very powerful. Get that professional qualification, but don't be afraid to, to, to kind of deviate from real estate. Be ambitious, be, be prepared to experiment. The sooner you, you kind of make that, that step away, the, the easier it is. You know, transitioning from Savills to Skyports, you know, financially was, was not really a big deal. However, you know, the, the further you go on in your career, you know, you're almost having to, to start again if you're, if you're doing something that's, that's very different. So making that change sooner rather than later is really, really important. Real estate will always be there. And as I say, what, what I do day to day, I, I touch on real estate, you know, day to day, in fact, pretty much every day. So there's lots of fun ways that you, you can apply it in different ways. Um, so don't be, don't be siloed or think that you have to follow a traditional surveying route. Um, in fact, you know, prop tech wasn't a word when I was at, at Oxford Brooks uh, studying. It didn't exist. It was all about sustainability. As I was leaving Savills, everyone was banging on about prop tech. Back then, no one really understood it. It was just a buzzword that people used to enjoy dropping in. Uh, but I think, you know, that's now very much changed and, and real estate's getting much more creative and, and having to keep up with the times. So, yeah, I guess to summarise, don't, don't be afraid to make a bold move and, uh, and step out of your comfort zone and, and do something different. That's a really upbeat note to end on. Thank you so much, James. It's been really nice talking to you today. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. That was Bricks and Mortar with Sarah Jackman. For more on developing a career in real estate, see the archive of the Bricks and Mortar series at podbean.com and the EGI archive at egi.co.uk.